0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: What we're going to see and hear in this text, none of this should surprise us. If we are are Christ followers, if we are students of the Word of God, if we are growing in our relationship with God, none of this should surprise us. And I'm going to give you three reasons why what you're about to hear in the weeks to come should not surprise you as a believer, you as someone who's taken the time to study the Word of God, why none of this should surprise you and why it should encourage you. I can see
0: the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry
1: The anthem for all my life Every dragon the mountains removed every chain of the past you've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you oh, is impossible.
0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby. Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount With his successful Kingdom Living teaching series So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 5 Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. One of
1: the things that we find as we move in deeper into the Sermon on the Mount is that there's a lot of confusion in Jesus' time about what Judaism is or what belief in the one, the true God is. All kinds of confusion and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus clarifies who he is and what his doctrine, what his teaching, what what he is all about, and what his followers are all about. And in their time, you know, they thought, well, you know, my mother went to church. Well, my, I'm, I'm a child of Abraham, right? That makes me okay. No, that's not good enough, you know. And, well, you know, I've kept most of the law. Well, well, the law, as you understand it, maybe, but that's not good enough either. And what he's going to do is, as we talked about the last time, is he's going to remind them that it's about him, not about them. Right. That's why we call this series, Successful Kingdom Living, Right Side Up in an Upside Down World, because that kind of living comes from inside of us when God enters our heart, enters our life through salvation in Christ, and changes us from the inside out, which is what the video was loosely about. You have to remember that at the time of Christ, Judaism was morally bankrupt. There had not been a prophetic word since the time of Malachi, roughly 450 years. John the Baptist comes on the scene, announces that he is the forerunner of the Messiah. Jesus is baptized in one of those. It's a great moment because you see the Trinity all at once. The Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. He's the Son of God, the voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus goes into the, uh, to the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes out. You have the wedding at Cana. You have healing the royal official's son. And the world knows, the, the Jewish world knows, that this man could be the Messiah. And so what happens is he goes up on a mountain after he's called his disciples to him. The crowds follow and he preaches this 20 to 30 minute sermon, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it lays out his manifesto. It lays out his program. And in it, what he does is he explains the Old Testament. He explains the law in a way they've never heard it explained before. He begins by talking about matters of the heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he begins inside of them. And then he talks to them about the fact that they are the light of the world. They're salt and light. They're world-changing influencers, because what's inside of them should come out of them. And he tells them, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And as you go through the Sermon on the Mount, what you're going to see is its structure, and I'll have a diagram for you next week, is like peaks and valleys, because he challenges them and he assures them, and he challenges them and he assures them, and it's sort of like the stock market, it goes like this. It seems volatile. There are peaks and valleys. He he catches them off guard. He restores their equilibrium. He catches them off guard again, and he creates a desire to know more. And then at the end, he explains, as we talked about in our very first sermon on the series, those who listen to me are like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. Those who don't listen to me are like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one with authority, not like their regular teachers. And so this is what's going on here. I almost consider this sermon, in a way, a transition sermon. Next Sunday's sermon is called, This Changes Everything. But this sets it up because what happens in this sermon, in this section of scripture, Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 20, is that Jesus is about to make a transition and he, they're sitting there listening to him. They're wanting to know who, well, who he is and what he's about. They want to believe that he's the Messiah. Some people have said that he doesn't respect the law of God. He doesn't respect the word of God. He doesn't respect the traditions of Israel. You know, it's like today. I watched a video or about the first 90 seconds of one called, I Love Jesus But I Hate Religion. It was by a young, young guy, clueless, largely, and he talks about how he loves Jesus, but he hates religion. And the problem with that is, is that Jesus loved religion. Jesus went to every festival, every feast. He attended synagogue. He kept the law perfectly. And people often understand misunderstand who Jesus is, but we're going to see what Jesus says in this sermon as he prepares to teach them the law of God, as he prepares to clarify for them the word of God. And what we're going to see is, is that Jesus is uh, all about the Bible, he's all about the Word of God, and that in the end, what he's going to teach us is that while we're not good enough to save ourselves, he is good enough as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, to save us. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's about the religion of divine achievement, what God does for us, not the religion of human achievement, what we do for God. And so let's get started. Let's jump in here into Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. So they're standing there waiting And some people have told him, well, he doesn't really like, he doesn't like the law and the prophets. He doesn't like the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible. He doesn't like the law of Moses. And so he's going to clarify all this for them right now. Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And look at verse 18. For truly, I say to you. When Jesus says truly, or truly, truly, or maybe in the King James it says verily, verily, that is a rabbinical teaching technique that says pay close attention to what I have to say next. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one Yoda, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then later on, by now, they're probably already shocked because you think about it, they looked to the scribes and the Pharisees as their example. And Jesus is saying, they're not good enough. Unless, unless you do better than them, you're not getting them. And he's clarifying for them, you know, that, look, I'm not here to knock down or minimize or replace or to abrogate the law of the prophets. I'm here to fulfill them. The law and the prophets is the whole of the Jewish Bible. When you hear him say the law and the prophets, that's the Pentateuch and that's everything that comes afterwards. And he's saying none of that. I'm I'm not here to undo any of that. I'm here to fulfill it. And ultimately, you know, he's fulfilling it on our account because we can't. And As often the case, Jesus said things that they expected and things they didn't expect to hear. And so he's really kind of delivering uh, really the the final introduction for his teaching. And when he presents them with this problem, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The people had to be stunned because the Pharisees and the scribes, the strictest religious leaders, the scribes, were the interpreters of the law of God. They were, they were theocratic lawyers. And the Pharisees were called the set-apart ones. They were the strictest adherents to the law of God. They looked at it carefully, and they tried to live it out with, to, the, to the nth degree. And we'll talk about their problems in just a minute. But as you look at this today, as, you, as we look at this text and as we consider this text and as we understand that none of us are good enough, and it doesn't matter who our mama was or what she did, and it doesn't matter whether we can balance things out or not because we can't, I want you to understand this. We live in an age where people have all kinds of crazy ideas about Jesus Christ, but remember this, none of these ideas should surprise, what we're going to see and hear in this text, none of this should surprise us. If we, are, if we are Christ followers, if we are students of the Word of God, if we are growing in our relationship with God, none of this should surprise us. And I'm going to give you three reasons why what you're about to hear in the weeks to come should not surprise you as a believer, you as someone who's taken the time to study the Word of God, why none of this should surprise you and why it should encourage you. And the first reason is simply this. Jesus taught nothing new in the Sermon on the Mount. There was no new teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. What he did was reiterate the old teaching. What he did was clarify the old teaching. What he did was clarify the word of God. The Pharisees and the scribes had hollowed out the law. They had really, you know, they had added to the law. They, there were 619 ordinances and things like that that they had put in place. And in so doing, they made the law manageable. You know, they said, you know, they were all about externals. Uh, these man-made rules were either an unconscious attempt or a conscious attempt to make the law manageable. And what I mean by that, and, and he'll get into this later on, where he says, you have heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say to you, statement, clarification, thesis, antithesis. And what he's doing here is he's making it clear to them, it's not just what you don't do, it's what's in your heart when you don't do it. And so a Pharisee could say, well, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. I do this, and I do this, and I do that, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. And I've never committed adultery. I've never committed the act of adultery. I've never committed the act of murder. I've never done, not done this, I've never not done that. And Jesus is like, you know, it's not good enough. Jesus taught nothing new. How do we know that he's teaching nothing new as he emphasizes this throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount? Look at verse 17. What does it say? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What's he saying here? What's going on here? We're not to think, we're not to think that Jesus' teaching and the verses that follow were meant to change or replace the moral code of the Old Testament. It, he's not looking to undo anything. You see, grace and law aren't antithetical they go together. The law and the prophets is the Old Testament. It explains who God is, how God is, the way to God, the walk with God. You know, salvation by grace appears in Genesis 15, 6, right? In the very beginning of the Bible. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, right? That's the Pentateuch. That's part of the law and the prophets. And Habakkuk says the just shall live by faith. That's the prophets. See, book of Isaiah 30, 39 chapters that reflect the Old Testament teaching, 27 chapters that reflect the New Testament teaching, 66 chapters, 66 books in the Bible. And maybe that's a coincidence. Who knows? The bottom line is, Jesus is going to teach nothing new. It's just that mankind, as mankind always does in this fallen, broken world, seeks to change things from the outside in rather than the inside out. Seeks to legislate. Seeks to create institutions to do what only God can do. And so Jesus is clarifying this. He's clarifying the letter and the spirit of the law. He's explaining to them what the Bible says. You've heard it said, not you've heard it written, not you've seen it written. You've heard it said, the ancients told you, but I say to you. And so, you know, when I remember talking to a fellow, he had a friend who was a very, very strict Orthodox Jew who'd converted to Christianity, become a Christian. And he talked about how through the Talmud and some of the principles that they had they found ways to navigate around the law i think i shared this with you before you're not you can't travel on the sabbath unless according to rabbinical tradition you're traveling over water so what he would do to, when he went, when he got in his car is he'd stick two bottles of uh water under his front seat and he'd drive wherever he wanted to go on the sabbath you know this is what the pharisees and the sadducees and the scribes were doing man-made ideas and jesus jesus is clarifying all this Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I mean, who wrote the law and the prophets? Jesus, right? Yahweh? God? The triune God? So he's not going to contradict himself. God cannot contradict himself. He cannot deny himself. So when Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets... We know and we remember that he fulfilled the moral law by keeping it perfectly. He was without sin. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. He embodied or personified all the symbolism of the Old Testament and the sacrifice, the day of atonement, the sacrificial lamb. And he fulfilled the judicial requirements of the law by dying in our place. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to knock it down. And those who reject Christ put themselves under the law. And that, you know, and grace is getting not what you deserve, but better than you deserve. And law is getting justice is getting what you deserve. And that's why he says, uh, I mean, Jesus valued the law, the word of God, the law and the prophets. He quotes it. He summarizes it. He says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how do you read the scriptures? He wasn't saying they're irrelevant. This is a modern 20th, 21st century kind of crazy thing that sounds good like everything else, but doesn't mean a whole lot. Jesus valued the law. How do we know? John 17, 17, the great high priestly prayer. In John 17, 17, what does he say? He says, sanctify them in truth, Father, your word is truth. What is the word? It's the law and the prophets. They didn't have a New Testament yet. Not one book of the New Testament had been written in Jesus's earthly public ministry during his lifetime. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, but I'm going to replace it. No, that's not what he's saying. Your word is truth, truth for me, truth for this person, but not truth for that person. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, well, you have your truth and they have their truth and we have our truth. He's not saying that. Your word is truth. The Old Testament is truth. Your word refers to the Old Testament. In John 10, 35, when he's wrestling with the Pharisees, he says, the scriptures cannot be broken. He's reminding them of what they already know. He's clarifying what is true. The scriptures cannot be broken. It just doesn't work that way. Now, we have to understand the purpose of the law. And a lot of times, because we live in kind of an age where everything's fast food, microwave ovens, tweets, text, and things like that, we don't take the time to read and think and reflect. But in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, Paul helps us to understand why Jesus taught what Jesus taught. Before faith came, before grace came, before the Savior came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith afterwards to be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified, we might be saved by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. What's the purpose of the law? To show us that we're not good enough to show us that we cannot fix ourselves, we cannot fix this world, that we need a rescuer, that we need a redeemer. And that redeemer was Christ, who's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, who's reminding us that, you know, apart from him, we're under the law. We are accountable to the law. We are under sentence. We We are going to get justice when we die, not mercy or grace. But when faith came, when Christ came... He steps in to fulfill the law on our behalf, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and to give us access to heaven, to give us access to the Father. Offered as a gift, not something we earn, not something we balance out like the lady in the video. Doesn't it all balance out? No, it doesn't. (coughs) A thoughtful person who studies the Bible realizes that Christ established the law and the prophets. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill them. He fulfilled every messianic prediction in the Old Testament. He fulfilled the prophecy. The entire Old Testament had a prophetic function that was fulfilled in Christ. That's why Christ taught nothing new. He's saying, I'm the one. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And as Galatians indicated just a moment ago, the law and its dictates brings us to our knees so that we can look up. Because no one can keep the law. You can't even keep the Ten Commandments. Not even for a week. You know, and he and the Pharisees. You know, they're trying to say, "Well, if you don't commit murder, you're okay. If you don't commit adultery, you're okay. If you don't, if you're not envious of what other people have, you're okay. If you don't take the Lord's name in vain, you're okay." But it's all about actions. It's all about externals. It's not about internals. And As a man thinks within himself, so he is. And it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of him. And what comes out of him starts in the heart. We're like tubes of toothpaste; you squeeze us, and what's inside comes outside. We're like bags of tea; you put a bag of tea in hot water. It's not the, the hot water doesn't create the tea; it just releases what's in the back. And so it's what's inside of us that condemns us. It eventually works its way outside of us. So I want you to understand that these three reasons. I want you to understand these three reasons about this passage. So that you're not surprised. So that when you see what comes next, it all makes sense. And the first reason that we talked about just now was Jesus taught nothing new. He did not add anything to the equation. He took our sin away. But in terms of doctrine, in terms of teaching, in terms of grace, in terms of mercy, he added nothing new. The other thing that's kind of interesting for us today here, just by way of application, is this. Jesus accepted the authority of the Word of God. It wasn't like, yeah, I know this is true, but yeah, you got to be practical here. That's what we hear today, right? Well, I know the Bible says this, but. There's no yes, but. Yes, but theology is no theology. I'll give you an example of yes, but theology. When I was 17 years old, my 1970 AMC Hornet with a two-barrel, 232 six-cylinder engine, a piece of junk, in other words, I went to turn the key. It didn't start. The flywheel, like, you're, you know, doing all this stuff. You couldn't jump start it because it had an automatic... You couldn't push start it because it had an automatic transmission. So I went to my dad and said, Dad, can I borrow the Ford LTD for a date tonight? He said, I'd love to give you the car, son, but... But meant no. I believe the Word of God is true, but... But I really don't believe the Word of God is true. Yes, but theology. Jesus is saying there's no such thing as yes, but theology. You either in or you're out. You either believe it or you don't. You can't pick and choose. I did not come to fulfill... I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus taught nothing new. And what you have to understand is, do you accept the word of God like Jesus did? If you're a Christ follower, is it true or not? Is it applicable or not? Are you going to be guided by it or not? Jesus was. You're his follower. What are you going to do? Okay. Reason number two that none of this should catch us off guard as we work through the Sermon on the Mount. God's law is not nullified by God's grace. God's law is not nullified by God's grace. It builds here. These thoughts build on each other. Jesus' discourse here builds upon itself. He makes these little steps, these little foundations so that we can be taken by the little finger and he'll lead us into truth. God's law is not nullified by God's grace. Where do we see that? Verse 18. For truly, truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one Yoda... Not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I want you to think about what that means. Now, what's a Yoda? Well, if you're from Savannah, Georgia, like me, it's an iota, okay? It's the holy language. A Yoda is just a little, is is like an I in Greek. And dot... Not one yoda or dot on the, on the, on the Hebrew letter dalit, there's a little knob on there. If you take that knob off on the back, it becomes something else. It becomes a whole other letter. And he's saying not one detail of the law will pass until all is accomplished, until heaven and earth pass away. Now, here's the problem. As far as I can tell, heaven and earth are still here. We're here, right? Heaven and earth have not passed away. God's word has not passed away. God's grace does not nullify God's word. The coming of Christ does not cancel the durability of God's word in the Old Testament. Meaning, meaning what? God's word is eternal. God's requirements are eternal. And, but, God's grace to those who receive and embrace it is eternal too. What does that mean? Every human being in this world, when confronted with the gospel, has a choice. Do I want to be under the law? Or do I want to receive what Christ has fulfilled on my behalf? Remember in the video... Everybody keeps getting weighed. They're being weighed under the weight of the law, and they're not good enough. But Christ steps on the scale in our behalf. His righteousness is credited, or an accounting term, imputed to our account. But the law is still there. See, Scripture comes with no expiration date.